Heavenly Father, we come before you now, and we ask that as we open your word, that you will speak to us, Father, that you will fill us with your spirit, that your truth will resonate deep within us. Father, transform us into the image of your Son, the only image that is worthy to be in your presence. Father, I pray that you will open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. May the truth of the gospel be beautiful to us. Help us to see Jesus and to treasure him above all things. Father, we thank you for our Savior, for we are nothing apart from him. Father, we are nothing if Christ did not die in our place. Father, we are nothing out of your presence. Father, come and be with us, I pray. Father, I pray for Redeemer Church as we seek to covenant together in a few weeks that we will be bonded not in uh, like-mindedness of anything that's... Um, a hobby, or things that go on in life. But Father, by the truth of your word, we will be united through the hunger of your word. That the gospel will resonate in each one of us, Father. Lord, as we seek to establish ministries of Redeemer, we pray that you'll go before us, give us wisdom. May you be glorified in all that we say and do here at Redeemer. Lord, for our families, that our families will represent the gospel, that the marriages will represent the truth of the gospel. Christ's sacrificial love for the church, may each husband personify that in their marriages. That wives will submit to their husbands as the church follows Christ. That the gospel will be real, Father, in our lives that our children will learn truth, and that parents, we will teach our children the ways of Christ. And Father, by your grace, that you will save our children. Lord, we know that you're not only at work in our lives, in our church. Father, we live in the midst of a world, and we have neighbors who are lost, who face your eternal wrath. Father, have mercy on them, I pray. Use us however you will. Give us the gospel-appointed opportunities to share the gospel with our neighbors. Lord, I pray for the Jat people of India, yet another people group, over 17 million people in that country who are lost. Father, they are not only in India, but they're living all over the world, and most of them have fallen prey to Islam and Hinduism and Sikhism. Father, the Jat people are hard-working people. You've built that in them. Father, they have a desire and the ability to rule. Use that, Father, I pray. Use that desire to turn them toward your righteous, sovereign rule. Father, while you do your work around the world and here in Redeemer. Father, we lift up the other churches here in our county and specifically tonight we pray for Pastor Dave Benson and his wife Chris at Grace Presbyterian Church. 
Father, I pray that You will strengthen their marriage. You will be with their family. You will encourage them. That You will spur them forward in gospel ministry. May they continue to be faithful to the gospel. May You bless that fellowship. And may the gospel go forth from that pulpit and save many in our county. Lord, be with us and guide us. Use us for your glory. Amen. We are in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19 tonight. And as you turn there, I want to just remind you of the common theme that's in the book of Philippians. The common theme is joy. Joy, true Christian joy, is a feeling within us that comes from God as He transforms us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are then satisfied with the same things that satisfy God. That is joy. So when I say joy tonight, have that definition in your mind. It's joy where no longer anything else has contentment for us. We look after nothing else for fulfillment. To put it another way, joy is the result of God making us like Himself. How we think, our desires and needs being filled by Christ, and living in the fulfillment of the gospel of the glory of God. That is joy. Last week Paul told us that joy comes with unity in the church with unity being grounded or established in humility, where the church puts others above self. And unity is then kept by the maturing, by saints maturing in the faith. I said unity is formed in humility, and it's kept by Christian maturity. And the result is joy. Last week's passage ended... With this, in verse 17, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. How often do we think of joy as being separate from unity in the body, humility in our service, and growing in our faith? So many Christians hear the message of joy as an individual call to focus on ourselves and to learn and grow and do life as private citizens of God's kingdom. And they miss the true essence of everlasting joy that comes through unity and humility and maturity. We are co-heirs with Christ, forever unified with Him and linked together for Him. I want Redeemer to have this eternal joy, what I'm describing to you, where we're unified in the gospel of Christ, bonded together in humility and service to one another, where our interests are the welfare of others and not ourselves, where we see the advancement of the gospel as our highest calling in life. And our most honored, sacred privilege is to be counted as worthy of serving Christ each other, in the world. I want us to start off this way, in the right way, in Christ-like humility that unifies us in gospel ministry and results 
in our joy. Church, the the joy we seek is not found in ourselves or filling our own needs. Our needs are filled in having the joy in filling others' needs. Isn't that Christ? That's the great Christ hymn in chapter 2, where Christ humbled himself and served his people to the point of death, even death on a cross. And gave us the perfect example of humility and service and joy. The Hebrews writer tells us that Jesus endured the cross for the he endured the cross for the joy set before him. How desperately we need to hold Christ's example before us. And if we become critical and, and question this, if we say to ourselves, Well, Jesus is God. He was God here. I can't be like him. God, in His mercy, gives us examples to show that He does move in His people. He does transform sinners into saints. And He will give us joy in the midst of sorrow, and He will satisfy us and fulfill us. Tonight, Paul gives us three examples of people who do what verses 3 and 4 say, where Paul said, "...do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit." But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, where Paul describes these three examples as role models for the church. The kind of Christ-like humility that's been talked about and being rejoiced in up to this point. Beginning in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. May we eat tonight and be filled by the word of God. Without God's word, we become weak and we stumble. Our faith feeds on the word of God. May our souls be nourished this evening. Our passage this evening is much like a a magnifying glass where Paul describes for us what he means by looking to the interests of others 
in a manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ. As we peer into the passage, it becomes clear what Paul is wanting the Philippians to be, and it's clear what we should be. Paul gives us three examples of humility that forges unity of purpose and joy among God's people. The first of which, the first example, is Paul himself. It actually began in verse 17 where Paul was willing to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial giving of the Philippians' faith. He said he rejoiced in that. And now in verses 19 through 24, Paul is willing to give up his most dependable and trusted companion for the Philippians' sake. He wrote in verses 19 and 20, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. At that time, there was no one else like Timothy at the church in Rome. Paul had mentioned earlier that there were some who preached Christ, but they did it out of selfish ambition. There were some good things happening at the church in Rome. Paul's stand and focus on gospel, his stand and his focus on gospel advance, emboldened a good number of brothers to speak the word without fear. But there was no one like Timothy, he said. There was no one who genuinely concerned, who was genuinely concerned for the Philippians' welfare. And Paul was, for, he was willing to forgo the value that Timothy was for his ministry work in Rome so that the Philippian church would be encouraged and strengthened in the faith. Paul's sacrificial example is our first example tonight. There was no one else equal to Timothy, and Paul was sending him so that others would be strengthened in their faith. Now, Timothy was not a stranger to the Philippians. He knew the Philippian church, and Acts 16 tells us he was there at the beginning. As Paul's partner in the gospel, Timothy witnessed and participated in the founding of the Philippian church. Timothy knew them personally. But it's more than Timothy's personal relationship with the Philippians that Paul was sending him to them. Look with me at verses 21 and 22. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. Timothy's added value in this scenario was his service for Christ. Timothy is described in Acts 16 as a disciple, as someone who's spoken well of, and as someone who helped Paul strengthen the faith of the churches they visited. There were those in Rome who looked out for their own interests, but not Timothy. He had deep conviction and desire for fellow believers. He sought to gird them up in the faith. He looked after their interests, their progression in the faith. Look again at verse 21. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. What happens when the things of self clash with the things of Christ? They don't fit together, do they? When we seek after self, we're not seeking after Christ. 
When we look to our own interests, we're not looking to the interests of Christ. We are to be of one mind, of one spirit, Paul tells us, which is ours in Christ Jesus, following Christ's example. And this is what Timothy did with Paul. One way of following Christ is to serve his people. In verse 22, we're told how Timothy served. It says, as a son with a father. A son tries to emulate his father. He tries to be like him. Paul was assuring the Philippians that Timothy had the same concern as Paul did for their welfare. Timothy shared the same mind and heart as Paul for the Philippians. Paul could not go to the Philippians, so he wanted to send someone who had the same focus and the same desire for them. And he had no one else but Timothy. Paul describes Timothy in 1 Timothy 1-2 as his true child in the faith. When a boy is young, he turns to his father to know what he should do. He wants to do what his father does. He wants to be like his father. A boy will even sometimes put on his father's shoes just so he can see what it's like to walk in his father's shoes. That is what Paul is describing about Timothy here. But this description of Timothy goes even beyond that. Timothy had proven himself by being faithful in his service with Paul as a minister of the gospel. Paul endured hardships. He experienced suffering. And Timothy was there with him right along the way. He did not leave. He did not give up. He did not turn aside. Wherever Paul was, Timothy was there also. Timothy had proven character like what Paul describes in Romans 5, 3-5. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Timothy had proven character like this for the saints. This was Timothy's proven worth that Paul's talking about. Sending Timothy was as if Paul was going himself. And Paul follows Christ. Paul wanted Christ to be honored in his body and to live as Christ, Paul says. Timothy sought the same things. So Paul says in verses 23-24, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. This is the second time in our passage that Paul tells us where his hope lies. In verse 19 he said, I hope in the Lord Jesus. Here in verse 24 he says, I trust in the Lord. Paul takes his direction, he takes his cues from the Lord Jesus Christ, and he depends on the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything is given from and directed toward, ultimately, Jesus Christ. That is how Paul lived, and that is what Timothy learned from Paul, and that is what Timothy lived also. Paul had deep affection for the Philippian church. He wanted to be there. He was confident that he would soon be there, but in the meantime... He would send Timothy in his stead. And Timothy would bring back encouraging news about the condition of the church. 
Timothy's service to the church is our second example. And Timothy follows the model set by Christ. Timothy sought the good for others. He was concerned about their progress and joy in the faith. Paul would send Timothy as soon as he saw how it would go with him, he says. Now this is vague. Paul could be talking about the outcome of his trial. He could have meant since there's no one else like Timothy, Paul needed him there for ministry work. It could have been because others were stirring up trouble for Paul. And Paul needed Timothy. It's, it's unclear what Paul is referencing. What is clear is that Paul would send Timothy as soon as he knew the outcome. Paul would send Timothy at once, in other words. Timothy had Christ-like character that gives us solid proof that his selfless service is not just an ideal. It's not just this theology that, that we accept. It's the result of a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Timothy shows us what it means to follow Christ. When we devote ourselves to others for their progress of faith, we're revealing the character of God. We bring a realness to what we speak of. The truths of Scripture are not just theological or philosophical. They are God's words for His people to be lived out in real lives and lived in the church. We need Timothys here at Redeemer. We need men and women who are servant-minded, whose hearts swell with joy when serving others, who's willing to endure hardships and give sacrificially so that Christ is exalted and praise is lifted up. Timothy is walking in Christ's path. Timothy served Paul while Paul served Christ. Timothy, in other words, was an extension of Paul's ministry. He added to the gospel work wherever Paul was. Redeemer needs people who have gospel advance as their goal in life. I pray we all follow Timothy's example. Paul doesn't end it with Timothy, though. In verses 25 through 30, Paul describes for us another believer who lived for the gospel. Epaphroditus is our third example in our passage. He's an example of sacrificial service in gospel ministry. He was willing to die for the advance of the gospel. He had a tremendous love for the church, the local body of believers whom he came from, where he lived, where he shared with, where he ministered, and his selflessness was also seen in serving Paul, helping Paul when he needed it. Please look with me at verses 25 through 30. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life, 
to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Because Paul needs Timothy, he's sending Epaphroditus immediately to the Philippians. They are to receive him as if it's Paul himself coming. Paul is not slighting the Philippians here. He points out the tremendous help that Epaphroditus has been to him. Paul wanted to send Timothy, and he himself wants to come. But for now, Epaphroditus is going. Look at how Paul holds up Epaphroditus. He calls him, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. Now Paul could have described him as my assistant, or my fellow servant, or even his servant. That would have been commendable, wouldn't it? To be known as a servant of Paul, or to be a servant of Jesus Christ, to be known as a servant of the gospel is worthy, Scripture tells us. But Paul, Paul here speaks to the quality of someone who came from their own fellowship, the quality of a fellow believer in the Philippian church. He describes him as my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, not someone who's inferior, but his equal, someone who has kinship with Paul, someone who works and toils right alongside Paul, and not only a brother and a worker, but a soldier, a fellow soldier in the gospel. This goes beyond the work. This goes beyond what the described need. It goes beyond what's need to function, and it takes into danger and hardship. Soldiers, they face danger, and they go into hardship. And that's how Epaphroditus is being described here, a fellow soldier in the gospel. Epaphroditus was willing to take risks with Paul so that the gospel would advance. Epaphroditus was willing to face persecution and suffering for the sake of the gospel. He was not someone who lends Paul a hand when Paul asks for it and waits for the next time to be asked. Epaphroditus was right there along Paul and Timothy. He was in the trenches of spiritual warfare he was fighting for the fight of faith. He was doing his part to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is preparing for the Philippians to receive someone who's been doing the work of the gospel and fulfilling what was asked of him and serving Paul's need, but even more. If Epaphroditus could do all this with Paul, he could also do it for his own, Paul's saying. Paul says in verse 26, Epaphroditus has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Epaphroditus had a strong affection and a deep desire for the people back home. There was genuine love for the people and he was distressed because the church heard that he was sick. This is the same word used to describe Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's a strong emotional bond coming from Epaphroditus to the people, the believers in the Philippian church. Deep, strong emotional bond. Epaphroditus is the kind of servant who had strong emotional connection with his church. He had deep affection towards those he was going to serve. 
He didn't want discouragement to seep in. He wanted to guard them. He wanted to progress their faith. Their selflessness here, in other words. Even when he was sick, he had their concern in mind. Epaphroditus is thinking of someone else. He's not seeking his own encouragement. His encouragement, his drive, comes from encouraging others. He's thinking of others' interest. Paul continues in verse 27 that Epaphroditus was sick to the point of death. This is not some common head cold or the case of the flu that Epaphroditus had. Epaphroditus was seriously ill and almost died. Verse 30 says he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. Yet his attention and his focus was on others. This rings loud of Christ. Earlier in chapter 2, it says that Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Death on a cross. Epaphroditus is reflecting Christ here in his love for his fellow believers. What an example for us to follow. Verse 30 ends with Epaphroditus risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul knew that all the Philippians could not go with him on his, mission, on his missionary journeys. The Philippians had sent Epaphroditus to help him, and he almost died for it. But God had mercy on him and on Paul. Paul is open here in our passage that gospel work is not easy. He said God's mercy saved him from having more sorrow, more heartache. Paul expresses a sincere, painful side of gospel work. There's sorrow, deep sorrow. He said he was saved from having sorrow upon sorrow. This may seem counter to the joy that Paul talks about, but Paul is expressing a kind of joy that has nothing to do with being free from hardship and anguish. Joy in the Lord finds its sweetest spot in midst of pain. When everything seems to crave in, when everything seems to cave in, it's God's free grace that frees us. It's God's free grace in our lives in what sustains us and literally redeems us from the pit. You and I can go through sorrow and pain and still rejoice in the Lord because of God's grace. Grace is our joy. I pray that we see grace like that. Grace that will sustain Redeemer when we face opposition in King George County. Joy in God's grace that will strengthen us when things look doomy, gloomy, and insurmountable. God's grace being our joy. Paul says, I'm sending Epaphroditus so that you may rejoice. Receive him in the Lord with all joy. Honor men like him. See him as an example on how you are to live for the gospel, in other words. Epaphroditus risked his life to complete the work of the gospel. He had deep affection for the church. And Paul told them to receive him and honor him because he is a personal representation of who Christ is, his sacrifice and his love for his people. 
Redeemer, we need to honor men like this. We are to esteem those who seek after Christ, who risk it all for the gospel. The gospel and serving others was not something that was added to the lives of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. The gospel was their life. It was their passion. Serving others provided opportunity to show the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's genuine joy to be had when serving Christ in others. Christian service should look like this. There are three takeaways for us. Regardless of where we are in the faith, if you're a new believer, if you're a leader, a member of the clergy, this is for everyone. Number one, we are to have genuine concern for others. And number two, have an eagerness to help. And number three, deep affection for the people of God. This is more than a Sunday worship service that we're planning at Redeemer. We are planting for the glory of God, and that is realized in our genuine love and concern of others, an eagerness to serve, a deep affection for the church where we care for one another, we comfort one another, we walk tough roads together, we pray for each other, we build each other up in the faith, preserving unity and peace, we sacrifice for God and His people. This is the picture of joy. Let's pray.